Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Paget here. And on this week's episode, I'm interviewing Laura Evans to discuss her transition from being a generic brand identity designer to becoming a visual storyteller. But before we get into that, I want to thank FreshBooks who have sponsored this episode. FreshBooks is a cloud-based accounting software designed for creative professionals that will allow you to create branded professional invoices in as little as 30 seconds. A feature that I really like is that when you send your invoice through FreshBooks, you'll know when your client's seen that invoice and if they don't pay, it will send automatic follow-up emails. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks. To claim that, just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek, making sure to enter Logo Geek in how did you hear about us section. So I met this week's guest at Birmingham Design Festival around two years ago now, and that was definitely one of the best design events that I've been to in the UK. So I really can't wait for the next one, which is in June later this year. Sadly, I couldn't make it last year because it wasn't long after my uh, daughter was born. So I'm really keen to go this year and I can't wait to go and hopefully I can meet up with some of you guys as well. Um, I met up with loads of my designer friends at that event and made plenty of new friends at the same time and one of them was this week's guest Laura Evans who is the founder of Nifty Fox Creative. Back there Laura was a brand identity designer but since that event she's made some massive changes to her business and now describes herself as a visual storyteller where she helps her clients more effectively engage with their audiences, motivate teams and drive change in the world through the use of pictures. By focusing, she's not only made herself stand out from the crowd, but she's also at the start of an incredibly exciting path to become a leading expert in her chosen area of expertise, which is also more exciting and more rewarding for her too. I hope that Laura's transition will maybe get you thinking about your own path as a designer because we have a lot of skills and there's so much potential for what we could do. You don't just have to do brand identity design. There's a lot that you can do with those skills. So let's get straight into this. Here is the interview with Laura Evans. So here today you focus on visual storytelling. I'm not familiar with what that is and some listeners might not be either. So just to give some background for people listening, could you share with us what that is? Yeah, sure. So I'll tell you what it isn't first because that's more helpful. So you'll often hear some logo designers and brand designers say they're visual storytellers. Um, and I think what they mean by that is that they convey the meaning of a business in a logo mark or a brand marketing message, which is true. But I think pure visual storytelling is communicating important ideas simply through the power of pictures. Um, so in terms of what that actually means for a product or an output, that could be things like live illustrating at meetings and events and conferences to bring together complex ideas in illustrations or animation that focuses more on explaining things, um, or rich picture infographics. So you may see traditional infographics that are all vectorized and look very sexy, but they don't really tell you a story. 
Whereas a rich picture or a visual storytelling infographic actually takes the uh, kind of give you a character and this character moves through the picture through different processes um, or kind of mechanisms that demonstrates how something really complicated works. Um, but by enabling you to get on board with a character, you actually kind of access that information as a story. So I hope that didn't sound too pretentious, but that is what I do, basically. No, I think it's amazing. And uh, I mean, one of the main reasons why I wanted to speak to you, um, because I, I'm aware that you're not a logo designer, <laughs> you don't work in brand identity um, work, but... One of the reasons why I did want to speak to you is because I think the last time we spoke, which was like two or three years ago, mm, is yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. Um, but you was correct me if I'm wrong in this, but I believe that you was working in brand identity. Yeah. But what I find fascinating with what you've done is I you, you see a lot of graphic designers out there. Like there, there's loads of us. Like if yeah. you go into the communities, there are thousands of other graphic designers out there. But what you've been able to do is find out firstly what you enjoy working on mm. but you've also found something that I think is quite unique I, I don't know how many other people are yeah. um, doing what you're doing but I, I find it fascinating that you've done that so you've kind of transitioned from being I guess um, a, a generalist brand identity designer yeah. and you transition to this quite specialist area where you're doing yeah. um, illustration, you're doing storytelling, and and I can tell that that's what you enjoy. But why I feel it's quite relevant for other people working in this space is that you have specialised, you, you have found the area. Mm. So um, I guess my question for you and, and to uh, share a little bit more with the audience how did you get to a point where you realize that you don't want to do generic branding work, mm. but you do want to specialize more in this specific area? So I'd like to give you a really sexy and well thought out answer here, but the, the honest answer is a combination of luck and my network. So mm -hmm. prior to being a brand designer and starting Nifty Fox, I actually was a social researcher for 10 years. So I spent a lot of time working in higher education um, and working with universities and kind of public think tanks. And I used to do some of the stuff that I now do now, visual storytelling, as part of my old jobs because it made sense to me. So I kind of had a big career change because I'd always been creative and wanted to do um, brand design. Um, and so I started there. But old colleagues kept getting in touch and kind of said, you know, that visual storytelling thing that we always used to sort of mock you for can we pay you to do that for us now? Because we can see the value in it. So I just found that more and more of my work was um, being taken up by the visual storytelling side of things. I was making more money doing that and I was getting bigger clients doing that and I was better at that. Um, so it was a really, it was kind of a gradual transition. If I started sort of 100% branding and graphic design, it then sort of started to be 60, 40, with 40% being visual storytelling. And then over time, it just became yeah a lot more and I was sort of you do get to a crunch point where you think right I need to completely pivot my business um in order to respond to this demand and I probably did that about two years ago um and it's just gone from strength to strength because I'm no longer a jack of all trades I have a specialist kind of niche and because I used to be a researcher I work with a lot of universities and think tanks and the government and kind of big public sector people because that was my area of expertise 
Um, so I think that how I pivoted really was responding to the demands of old networks and clients. And also, yeah, you do, I think you don't really know what you're good at and what you enjoy until you've done it for about 18 months, two years. Um, and I realized that as much as I love, you know, I can appreciate good brand design um, and I, I love a decent logo and Aaron Draplin is absolutely my hero. Um, it just kind of the whole process, no offense to our lovely audience, the whole process <laughs> kind of left me a bit cold. Um, and I think I sort of had a real laser focus look at all my, my values as a person. And I thought actually designing logo marks and brands in order to make capitalism more money didn't sit right with me as a value. Um, so a lot of the work I do now is for causes that I genuinely believe in. So I do a lot on public health. I do a lot on LGBTQ plus issues, um, a lot with the NHS on um, uh, fighting cancer. So I kind of realised that my ethics were about making a difference in the world in a positive way and ensuring that people who need information are getting it effectively. Um, because a lot of the work I do now is focused on engaging communities that have been completely disadvantaged and unable to get that information. So I think, yeah, the short answer is look and network and then actually just going, right, I need to do something now for my business that will see that growth over the next sort of five years. Um, but it it's clearly worked because it's just kind of gone from strength to strength. And now I'm sort of branching out into um, teaching and I teach now modules at universities about research communication and visual storytelling um, and also then working with businesses to visualize their strategy so thinking about how to use design thinking and visual thinking to create strategies that are more effective um, and then actually how can we communicate them through illustration and through visuals to actually engage people to motivate them to do something um, so it's still it's still ever growing now um, and you just kind of realize the different uses of it and when you can kind of show that um, here's an infographic that I produced for a research think tank as a result of this. They managed to secure, you know, 50 grand's worth of funding in three minutes because people understood what they needed. And you kind of think, yeah, that's why I get up every morning to make sure that, you know, we're, we're researching things that are important and saving people's lives that wouldn't have had the opportunity otherwise. Mm. It's fascinating to know how you end up get, getting into it because it's, it's basically um, because of an old job that that you worked in that you did eventually get the opportunity. And yeah. I, I found with, um, I guess, niching down, that's mm. one of the buzzwords, specializing in, in the way that you have done, it's not been a sudden thing. Like you, no. you didn't suddenly just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be the expert on this. It's no. been very much a, a gradual progression. Yeah. So starting off working with general brand identity mm. work and then the more you got you gradually transitioned into that it sounds like you know just going in that direction you're specializing even further and mm. it's amazing what you're doing with teaching congratulations Thank I wasn't you. aware of that <laughs> yeah it, it's it's full on um but I think yeah I it was ne I think what I want to tell young designers especially is there's a lot of pressure I think on you to niche and people think, oh, you know, oh, God, I need to choose a particular market and do it now. But niching comes over time. And, yeah. you know, it took me years to realize that that's what I wanted to do. And often where you end up in your business 
despite all your you know best will in the world, will be completely different to what you anticipated or even set out. Um, and I think as as we get older, I think I realise that actually you can have. I think goals are kind of odd things because they leave you shut down to opportunities that might have come up otherwise um, had you not been looking for them. So I think for what I'm trying to say, I'm getting lost at my own bum here. <laughs> no, but I think, yeah, don't niche too quickly and also be open to opportunities that you might not initially think are good for you or the right ones, but take a chance on some anyway, because you might learn something. Um, yeah. I think that's what, yeah, kind of Nifty Fox has been going for four years now. And I think all of the best things that have happened have been either complete luck or I've just been really open to opportunities and said yes um, and grown as a result, really. Yeah, I, I can totally relate with that because I, I know when we speak about niching down, mm. um, I... I know what I'm doing with Logo Geek is a niche, but it was always just a side hobby. I've always been yeah. very much uh, a generalist graphic designer. Like in terms of my personal skill sets, I've done a little bit of everything from um, video artwork to like animation to print-based work, exhibition stuff, website work. I could do it all, but I think um, as you progress in your career, you you kind of get steered in different directions based on. Uh, what you're passionate about and where you put your focus. And I, I see nothing wrong with starting as a generalist. I mean, it's, yeah. to be honest, even continuing long-term oh, as yeah, a generalist, uh, if you can make an income from it and y you do very well with it, that's that's fantastic. But I, I do think there's a an advantage to um, focusing in, in a particular area in the way that you have done mm -hmm. um, you've done it well and you stand out you know what you're doing is different to anyone else that I know you know you're yeah. okay like you are kind of like a hand lettering artist yeah you you, uh, you are kind of a graphic designer yeah. but I, I think what you're doing is combining all these different skill sets that you have and you're actually um you've identified a problem which is a communication one and mm. you have found an effective solution to that that I think businesses yeah. obviously need yeah definitely and I think I always say weirdly when I'm kind of onboarding a new client I'm kind of quite transparent that you know I'm not the world's greatest graphic designer I'm not the world's greatest hand letterer I'm not the world's greatest illustrator but what I can do is solve your problem and do that effectively um and I think that's the thing. I mean, it's interesting you say you've kind of done a bit of everything the same here. So you're totally right. Like, I'm really glad I started out as a more of a generalist because it's given me a base of skills that means when I do present work or I do things like build my own website, um, then it means that I've got those skills to draw upon to make my client's life even easier. So, for example, there was did some work recently with a client and we did a, a rich picture infographic and they said a real throwaway comment like, oh God, I wish we could put this on a website and make it interactive. And I said, oh, well, I can do that. And they go, what? And yeah, it's like, yeah, so because I did all this old, this branding work, I can actually make that happen. Um, so it's weird how kind of skills that you think you'll never use again um, end up being, you know, another big part of your work. Like, I kind of learned animation on the side, you know, for After Effects for a laugh. And then a massive part of my work now is animation, even though I learned it completely as a, as kind of a bit of fun for me on the side. So 
I think, yeah, it, it's been a roller coaster, but all of those little things that you don't think are important that you're learning, just keep them in the back of your mind because you never know when a client might need that extra thing uh, or that, you know, extra bit. Um, and that's how I kind of ended up teaching really was because I used to teach um, at universities um, and I kind of dropped that in conversation uh, in a completely unrelated meeting and then that got back to certain people and they decided that they wanted to employ me as a lecturer. So mm -hmm. it's it's kind of weird how all of our creative skills kind of mesh together, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, um, one thing that you got me thinking about then I think it doesn't really matter what job you do. There's there's things that you would pick up. Yeah. It's one of my first one of my very first jobs when I was about eighteen. Mm. I worked in a warehouse for about three or four months, mm. and um, you know, I was uh, doing a lot of logging in and logging out and using these uh, like internal systems to do the picking and packing. And I'm, there's me thinking I'm never going to refer to that again. Mm. But later in my career, you know, a few years later working as like a creative director within a, a web design agency yeah we was actually building a, a system in the within the back end for picking and packing <laughs> and i'm like i know exactly how this yeah. needs to work I, I and it's amazing how um through your life your experiences as a graphic designer and even a non-graphic designer yeah. you're probably going to Im implement that in some way and i think that's the beauty of when you do work for yourself you can pull up on all of that. You can pull mm. up on all, all of your experiences and and add to it. So it's it's cool to know that you're able to leverage on all of your skill sets in order to help solve your clients' problems. Yeah, I think it. Um, I think it's just about realizing that your clients aren't scary people. I think when I first started working for myself, I thought clients were these terrifying ogres that I needed to keep happy all the time. Um, and, well, and to some extent you do, but I think the more I started to see my clients as collaborators and people just like me, the more authentic you become and the more you're happy to share all of these crazy parts of your life. Um, so, I mean, some examples of that. So I, I totally hear what you're saying. When I was 19, I worked for a shoe, shoe factory and um, sorry, a shoe shop for about two years. And that's where I learned how to sell. So the school, the, all of the skills that I picked up from those two years on how to sell shoes, I now use to convince people to employ me. <laughs> and then equally, I think it's about also owning your own kind of story. Um, and I won't get too much into that, but when I'm open with clients about my personal history and things that I've gone through, that's actually enabled me to take on different projects and projects that other designers probably wouldn't because they haven't got lived experience of certain things so actually I think it's not only about thinking what skills can I bring to the table from outside of design and from all over my life but also what experiences do I have as a human being that make me better to work with make me understand the subject area more effectively so that I'm a better designer for these people and solve their problems more effectively like you might be the best snowboarder ever so actually you might be amazing at designing all these snowboard brands because you have a real intimate knowledge of what people want um so it's yeah i think it's also appreciating that you're a person not just a, a kind of order taker you're also a collaborator and you have ideas and histories and things that can help your client really
Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about the sales side of things. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I know when we talk about visual storytelling, mm. like I said at the beginning, it's kind of vague what it is. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I'm a graphic designer myself. I mean, I can kind of work out what it is. It's, it's not completely off the wall, but um, something like a logo, something like brand identity, business owners generally know that when they start a business they're going to need some kind of identity and um their search out for graphic designers or whatever mm. but when it comes to something like what you're doing there's not a, an an immediate obvious reason for needing that service yeah so I'm, I'm curious how you go about getting clients because like i said I mean, maybe they do, but I, I, I don't imagine a business owner thinking, oh, I need a visual storyteller yeah. to help explain yeah. this thing and communicate this a lot better. Do you find that you are having to constantly reach out to contact people or, or are people coming to you because they have that need and you're able to help with that? So all of my clients come from referrals. Um, I've rarely had to go out and market myself, which I'm um, touch wood. I'm going to touch every piece of wood. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but it's with visual storytelling, it's less a case of me marketing, marketing it to people and more a case of them seeing the impact of what I do. So a lot of where I get my clients from are people see the work, the rich picture or the animation or the live illustration. They'll see me do something or see a product and then realize that oh my God, this is a much better way of communicating really complex stuff. And then they'll hear down the grapevine, oh, we secured 50 grand worth of funding because of this infographic. And then it's kind of the result that they see and then they realize how they can reverse engineer that into solving their problem. Um, so people often come to me with with problems like, I can't motivate my teams. I don't understand um, how to get all of this strategy stuff out of my head and into something coherent. I've got this research project. How on earth do I talk to normal people? So it's always a problem of clarity and communication. So when people reach out to me, if they've not had any prior understanding of my background and who I am, I think they're often shocked that we don't talk about design or visual storytelling for probably the first third of our work together. Um, A lot of what I do initially is running workshops with my clients to understand the problem um, to make sure that we've got a clearly defined problem and then a clear idea of kind of each step in order to solve it. Um, so I suppose that really doesn't help designers out there. Like, how do I get more clients? Because I think rather than telling clients you're great, show them um, and have really strong case studies um, and also be good to the clients that you do have. Um, and Tom Ross from Design Cuts is always saying, treat every client like your only client and I really try to do that so if you fully understand the problems of your the clients that you do have and treat them like you love them and that you totally on board with their goals and that their goals are your goals you'll find that that will then naturally lead to them recommending you to other people and then your work will be better for that client because you're fully invested in it um so, yeah, I suppose it, it is, I do get, well, you know, visual storytelling, what the bloody hell's that then? I do get that question. Um, but then I always kind of follow that up with, well, what's your problem? 
and then they'll outline the problem and say, well, this is what visual storytelling is. And here's five ways that I've already solved that problem using this method before. Um, and then it's kind of that, that the impact side that, that helps win clients over. But one of my biggest clients that um, I landed quite recently, they saw me live illustrating an event and openly said to me, they said at the beginning of this event, I thought it was a load of bollocks what you were doing, illustrating what's going on. I totally don't get it. But at the end of the event, because I summarize everything, I have five minutes at the end to walk people through the illustrations. Um, and then they said at the end, like by the end, I was totally sold. And I totally understood the value that you bring. You bring clarity and the ability to communicate that to everybody. So again, it was, I showed them what I could do and why it's important rather than preaching to them. I hope that sort of answers your question. Oh yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, one question that I've been uh, thinking in the back of my mind in terms of working out pricing mm. to me it sounds like something quite hard to to do because when they initially come to you they're going to come to you with a problem yeah you kind of need to work out exactly what their process is mm. how they approach it and so on and then create artwork based on that yeah how are you going about working out things like pricing for something that's um potentially unpredictable you know because mm. if you don't know exactly what that step-by-step -step thing is it's hard to work out in your head it's going to take this much time to put yeah. that together the so price of that should be this how, how are you going about doing that well i think i think when i first started i did try and factor in time and think about how long will this take me but as i've progressed and grown things have got a lot quicker so i don't try i, I kind of do value-based pricing now yeah. so for like a live illustration, that, that is based on time because I know I'm going to be there for the day. I know I'm going to be there for, you know, four hours or whatever. And I kind of know how much prep time I need and what I need to do afterwards. So that is a set rate, kind of day rate. Um, but then with bigger projects, um, I tend to think about how much me solving this problem is worth to the client. So that can range from, you know, anywhere from a grand all the way up to, 15 20 odd plus depending on how big the client is but again it, it's it's not an exact science that i've <laughs> that i've got better at or fully understand um but i think i i, I can't when i the client comes with a problem i've seen you see patterns in problems so i kind of get a feel for okay this kind of sounds like this is what they need so that's this is what i've charged for that before um, and I'm better at that now, so I'm going to charge 25% more um, and then go from from there. So it, it, it's not an exact science. It's just sizing up your client, really, um, and then working out a little bit on the time. But but then I've charged, you know, I've charged a set rate for things and it's taken me 15 times longer. And then I've charged the same money and it's taken me, you know, half a day. So yeah. it, it's kind of swings and roundabouts, really. I don't think anybody will ever get it 100% right. But I think understand what your client can afford and have an open discussion about budget to begin with. Because if you're trying to get somebody to pay 15 grand and they've got two, then there's no, there's, there's kind of no room to move there. But what I do do and do recommend people do is always submit a proposal with three price options. So you've got something under budget, something on budget, and then something slightly over budget that feels like they're getting loads because um, I often find that my clients choose the one that's above the budget um, just because of the extra value that you add. So 
I think it's also being clever about how you position things. Um, but yeah, pricing is a ball ache still. Um, it feels easier the more I do it. But again, it's not an exact science. Um, and I think initially when you're starting out, you will think about what do I charge for the day and what do I charge by the hour? Um, but I prefer not to do that with bigger projects because I just don't know. <laughs> and I don't want to penalise myself for working quicker or penalise the client for me having to take a week over it because I've had to learn new skill or it's just not working or, um, you know, we've got millions of stakeholders involved and everybody wants, you know, a green apple to be a purple one or whatever. So it's, yeah, it's trying to balance many plates, I think. Yeah. It sounds like you've read um, Price and Creativity by Blair Enns. Yes. Where he runs. Yeah, I thought you have because um, he uses a lot of those um, methods. I'm curious, um, I mean, when you were speaking with your client and, and you mentioned about asking about budget straight up front mm. at the beginning, how are you actually going about asking that question? Uh, simply, what's the budget for this work? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and based on that, are you then, are you then tailoring a solution to their budget or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they often, because it is quite niche what I, I do, they, they don't really know. Um, and so I often get in response to that question is, well, we don't really know because we don't know how much you, you, you know, what you charge. So with that, I often kind of use an example of clients that have solved a similar problem and how much that costs them um but yeah but to open that discussion I'm, I, I think I try to be clever with it before and dress it up as something that it wasn't because people hate talking about money but I just now I just full-on ask what's the budget for the project <laughs> um yeah or, you, know, <laughs> you know ideally in mind how much do you want to spend because that will affect the solution that we provide um so I think there's there's no point dressing it up for something you you know they need to know how much you charge and you need to know what you're willing to work for so yeah just ask yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I um I personally uh, I'm doing a lot more uh, telephone calls now because mm. uh, my um my my business has been on the side of a full time job and I'm not yeah. a salesperson I'm a graphic designer so mm. a, a lot of my um, everything I've been doing has been by email, but recently, um, I've been doing a lot more sales calls and it's funny when you get around to the price, yeah. people hate talking about it. you, you put a figure out there and it's amazing how their voice changes when it's too high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes it, it does make me laugh. I, I don't take any offense by it. It's just uh, the, the, the pitch of their voice changes when it's too high. Um, uh, yeah, I, I did have a question for you, but I totally forgot what it was. That's okay. Um, yes. I, I wanted to also ask you, uh, about the three tiers that you mentioned mm. so you mentioned like you've asked for their budget you understood how much they got and then you've got these three different tiers am i right in assuming that you're doing the blair ends model where the the bottom one mm. is basically their budget and then you're doing three different products that that go from there that are slightly higher and then another one that's even higher is that right yes so i think <laughs> When people tell you their budget, also take that sort of with a pinch of salt. I mm -hmm. think actually often your clients won't know what they need. They, they, they think they know what they need, but often they don't. 
So I think, yeah, is is trying to give as much value in those tiers as possible by showing them, yeah, well, you, you could pay this, which is what you've said, um, and you could get this base, I don't know, infographic. But actually, if you pay a little bit more, you could get an animation with that as well. And if you pay a little bit more, you'll get a comp, like this is something I do, a conference pack and a social media pack and this brochure. And actually, the difference between their original budget and all of this extra added value isn't that massive. Um, so yeah, it is, there's a massive psychology behind it. Um, but I, I often find that after, if you have a really good sales call, cause I always, when I'm onboarding clients, I always do a zoom call cause I think it's, it's really important for them to see my face and <laughs> yeah, need to see yeah. them. Um, so they can get a sense of whether we gel together well as a, as a working team. Um, and then the proposal shouldn't come as a surprise to them at all. And I even discuss some of those higher tiers on the call um, so that they're aware that actually they could get even more value. Um, so it's not, you're not just kind of cold proposing. Um, there's, there is a discussion and a respectful understanding. Okay, I understand you've said you've got X, but you know, have you thought about spending a little bit more in order to solve your problem even better with this and think about these applications and I think something that's really helped sell that extra value, if you like, and that extra budget is showing, is giving them things that they can use in lots of different places and can use beyond the scope of the work with me. So, for example, when I work with researchers, they might want uh, an infographic for a particular project. But then I also say, well, how about we split that image up into separate kind of JPEGs that you can then use for eternity in different contexts and then what about if you've got a different research project how can we kind of get the most bang for your buck i guess i just want to take a short break to thank fresh books who have sponsored this episode as creatives we like to spend our time designing logos and brand identities but a lot of us spend more time than we'd like doing admin work like creating invoices, chasing payments, logging expenses. And that's where FreshBooks can help you. It's an accounting software designed for creative professionals that will save you time. For example, you can create branded, professional-looking invoices in as little as 30 seconds. You can set up credit card payments right from those invoices too, meaning that your clients can pay faster and when it comes around to tax time, you can export out tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with an accountant really simple. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial. To claim that, just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek, making sure to enter Logo Geek in How Did You Hear About a section. Now let's get back to the interview. These tiers that you have, mm. the the way you answered that, it sounds like you have them kind of predefined yeah. prior to working on anything. Yeah. So do you have like these tiers? Am I right in that you basically got like a template for what each of these are and then you're just tweaking it based on yes. what the client actually needs? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's good to have, you know, I have a, a template proposal that I can tweak and adjust. Um for each for each client and I do have a set idea of how much things I want to charge for things so it's not putting a proposal together isn't too hard but that was just based on um the Futors um proposal deck so I think I bought it for like yeah. 50 dollars 
And that is what my business is absolutely built on. Um, so it's not just kind of a an estimate from your accounting software. It's a fully fledged, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is my process. Here's my previous work. This is the timeline and what you can expect. Here's my understanding of the project that you've bought me with. This is the, what I think the problem is. And then here's three ways that we can solve it and three prices for that. Um, so it's, I think if you put that legwork in up front and show that you're committed and organized from that point, um, your clients are more willing to pay the money for you, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've I've had a look at uh, the project proposal kit. I think it was Ben Burns that created yeah. it. I mean, I'm sure Chris had her. I'm sure his um, fingers, fingers in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I've had a look at that and it is very good. There's a lot of pages. I thought it was rather long, personally, yeah, but um, Mine is yeah, long. but it's yeah. it's a good template to start with, and um, yeah, it's good to hear that you're doing that. So you basically um, uh, prepared a load of templates, and I do the same thing. So yeah. you're creating templates for everything, so that you're not starting from scratch. Because I, I think I think a lot of people make the mistake that they assume with things like this because you are creating a tailored solution that you need to create everything from from the beginning but it sounds like you've got a template proposal document and you're tweaking those three tiers you mentioned tweaking the the quotes and Mm. how long do you normally spend on one like if i spend more than half an hour on one i'm worried yeah Um, yeah so pretty quick to put together so you can have a call half an hour half an hour later you put together a proposal document sent it over and then cross your fingers that they go ahead i I think you know by that point based on you know having that zoom call them giving the the nod to the price you send that proposal over and it's just a case of them choosing yeah and i think because you are doing something quite specific you don't really i mean sure i'm sure you do have competitors but you don't have as many competitors as someone who like me specializing in logo design it's like there's options it's not the best thing to be trying to sell to be honest but i I think because you are specializing in one area you have less competitors and it's why i'm always pushing on this podcast and I mentioned it so many times about trying to find a way to stand out yeah. so that when it does come around to that, yes, they're not shopping around and looking for the cheapest option. They picked you because you're the best at that thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think trying to position yourself as an expert in in some way is, is so beneficial because, I, I mean, I do have competitors. Like each competitor isn't quite like me in in different ways. Um, but there are people out there that do what I do. But what I've found is, is that people don't package up uh, my services quite in the same way. So you'll get a lot of people out there that are live illustrators, but that's it. That's all they do. And you'll get a lot of people out there that are research communicators, but that's it. Whereas I try and you know bring in lots of different skills to package up that solution in a different way. Um, and I think, yeah, for more traditional graphic designers, it is thinking about yeah, how you can package up your skills in a unique way, um, whether that's by you have a particular specialism in the clients that you work for or you're an absolute like legend at Adobe Illustrator or you might also do a bit of animation so you can offer like logo animations as well. It's just finding that little sparkle that makes you you, um, but also not being afraid to uh, own who you are as well. I think I did a a workshop at the Birmingham Design Festival last year with Chris Doe that was talking about, you know, 
um, finding your superpower as who you are. And I learned a lot from that about there are a lot of things, facts about myself that I felt like I had to keep a secret from my clients um, and keep a secret from the world because I was sort of didn't think they were relevant or kind of ashamed of them. And actually, since that workshop, I've been a bit more authentic to me. And as a result, my work has got better and my clients have got better and my clients are like, I don't know, I think you when you're more authentic with yourself in the outside world, just good things come to you. And I know this is sounding a bit Buddhist and woo-woo, but I think it's really important that the problems in your kind of personal headspace reflect in your business. So um, especially if you own your own business. So I think it's important to not only think about what skills do I have that make me stand out, but actually who am I as a person that then that makes me stand out. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's we were at all. Yeah, um, yeah. I literally just um, very recently I released um, a podcast interview with Cole Gray, mm. oh, and oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to dig deeper into his business, and, and we started uh, talking about confidence and mm-hmm. and about personal branding and and a lot of what he did, and and the reason why he's got to where he 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 is now is because he's kind of accepted who he is and yeah. he's a lot more confident in him in himself so he's able to um create a personal brand that's all about all around who he is so yeah. you know like well you know cole he, yeah. he loves his heavy metal so he's got this rock your brand thing and he's yeah, really playing on it and um there, there's always this concern that when you put that out there into the world that people might not work with you but um like i was saying to cole i went to an, an event i was sat next to this um uh lady mm. uh, he was a business owner you know serious business owner that that had money to invest in what she's doing and she had this big sticker on her laptop that was rock your brand and and i just thought it was brilliant so i totally agree with what you're saying yeah um i'm doing it as well like i i've always been a nerd and i need to play on that even more than what i am Absolutely. yeah <laughs> but it, it's important like and i can totally relate to the nerd thing um like you know i i bought a switch the nintendo switch for myself yesterday as a 31st birthday present. oh that is cool exactly and right. happy birthday thank you but, but, but like stuff like that gets your clients talking. So like um like last week I was chatting to a client and they I'm a massive Elvis fan, like massive. Um and I I won the work, he said, because I read your about page and listened to one of your podcast one of the podcasts you've been on. And I'm a massive Elvis fan too, and I just thought you sounded like great fun to work with. And I was like, <laughs> well, I didn't actually get that work really based on my skill. It was that I seemed like a decent person to work with. Yeah, yeah. You know, I um I had a client recently who was setting up a, a new bar yeah. in London. But the, what they're doing is rather than it being a traditional bar, there's the downstairs area, which is obviously where you can buy drinks and dance and stuff. But then you go upstairs and it's all about gaming. Oh, so you can play like, you know, tabletop games like yeah. Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, and they literally, that. Yeah. yeah, they went with me and they said, are you more our kind of person? And that is one of the main reasons why they yeah. picked me because they can see I have an interest in this kind of thing and, and could totally relate with what they're doing. And, um, you know, I would go there. They've invited me to go down there when they've finished it all. So, um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with <laughs> yeah. being unique. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, own your weird. Like, own it. And yeah. I think, um, 
it's weird you say it because I've, I've been invited to speak at an International Women's Day thing in the centre because I'm based in Sheffield at the um, Sheffield Millennium Gallery. Um, and I've got that again. They approached me because they just said, you just sound like a laugh. <laughs> so yeah. we come and yeah. do that and speak and we'll pay you to speak. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, OK. Um, but on that, something relevant as well is um, put out into the world like what you want to do. So this year I was like, right, I want to do more teaching and more speaking because I think I'd be good at it. And I also think it'd be really enjoyable so I've just put a few things out on social media and also mentioned it to clients and network, you know, just putting it into the universe. And as a result, these opportunities have started to sort of come my way. So I think it's also about, I know there's always this pressure on designers to put work out that you want to do on Instagram or on Behance or whatever, but also just put that, this does sound weird, but put that energy out into the <laughs> universe, like start mentioning to people, yeah, I'd really like to do this. And just be passionate about it. And I think you can probably hear the rain in the background, by the way, now. It's absolutely horrible. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it's been it. horrendous here in the UK. We have yeah. storms. Like literally yesterday, my partner, she bought something on eBay and they refunded her money. And she's like, why have they refunded <laughs> it? So she sent them an email. And literally two minutes later, all they sent back was a photo and their whole warehouse is underwater yeah but going back to putting stuff out into the yeah, yeah, back um, into- <laughs> just, yeah being passionate about something and showing people that you're excited about a potential opportunity things will things will come your way i think and i think that's that's such an important part of business is actually putting feelers out there for the things that you really want to do but not having any expectation that they'll kind of come off, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, own your weird and put put your intentions out into the world with people. Yeah, right? yeah. I think I think it'd be good to speak a little bit about teaching because mm. um, I wasn't aware that you were doing that, and yeah, it's, um, as it's something that you want to do more of. Yeah. I, I think it'd be good to speak about it. So, I mean, in terms of teaching. I know you did mention earlier, so forgive me for no, asking fine. this again if you've already explained. What what exactly is it that you're teaching people? So there's a few things that I'm teaching. So to university students, so these are a kind of um, early career researchers that so might be doing a PhD or on a master's that is research focused. So I teach um, research storytelling. So um, because my background is an academic, I kind of teach them about um how to reframe their research in a way that's accessible to lay audiences. And we go through what storytelling is, um, how stories are structured so that they can understand how to ask the right questions of their research and put it into a story framework so they can then go to anywhere and any audience in the world and have a version of their research story to tell compellingly. So, Um, We go through that structure and then we look at how you can translate it visually. So I teach them some visual thinking tools. We have a little bit of a go at doodling and how to draw stuff Um, and then put that all together into a research poster that isn't a traditional, boring academic research poster that makes you want to cry. It's actually something engaging and takes people on a journey. So they're more inclined to act upon that research proposal. Um, So that's one part of what I do. Um, another part of what I do is teaching visual thinking for strategy. So this is where I go into businesses and run workshops. Um, 
And with that, I make them look at their strategy in a different way. So we use, um, I'm trained to be a Lego play facilitator. Don't know if you've heard of that. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, okay. Basically playing with Lego and getting paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's about breaking down a problem into different, in a different way. And then rebuilding a system that would work using visual tools, whether that be Lego or drawing it as a journey. Um, so, yeah, it's actually breaking down strategy into manageable chunks that can then actually do something. So strategies at the moment tend to be like 50 page reports. 90 percent of strategies don't ever get used or work because people can't um, use the information. So I encourage businesses to create a strategy on a page. So we spend kind of half a day creating an A4 vision for their business because they'll then be part of the 10% because it's succinct, it's clear, there are actionable goals um, and people like to look at it, so they'll use it. So that's another element of the teaching that I do. And then a kind of third thing that I want to do more of is more of the raw kind of visual thinking skills and also teaching illustrators how to do live illustration because that really is a skill <laughs> Um, so a bit more putting back into the creative community is what I'd like to do. Mm, I think. Mm. You know, I, I think all of this gives everything that you're doing a hell of a lot more credibility mm. to, to think that the processes and methods that you're using can be taught at that university yeah. academic yeah. level. Yeah. I'm not and, it up yeah. Like, yeah. 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 No, it's good. It's, it's, it's amazing. Cause, uh, and I mean, you, you know what we're speaking about, kind of niching down mm. um be because you have picked that one specific topic you are going to become or are already um the expert around that one specific yeah. topic so you know teaching it um offering training courses and then doing that as a service i i can imagine you know ongoing long term you're probably be making so much money from the teaching that that when you uh when you do take on uh, the the actual project work, yeah. you'll want to work on the best, most interesting stuff. And it's probably going to have to be people with high budgets because they'll be coming to you because you're the best person at doing this. And I think kind of the, you, you've, you've done a lot in a short period of time. And uh, <laughs> we, when you think about it, it's only been a few years. Yeah. When you think you went from a, a, a generalist to uh specializing in this one area but also teaching all of that at mm -hmm. that level it's impressive thank you I, I, don't, I don't know if you really thought about that but it's um, it's impressive and um it's it's cool to think where you can go with this from now on yeah i try i try not to i try not to think too much <laughs> because it just gets overwhelming so as a as an anxious person if i think too much about um the future or how fabulous i am i just get a little bit kind of freaked out but i think you're right that that is kind of my long-term vision is to do more of the teaching and training side so that i'm, I'm kind of in this conundrum of what growth looks like for me because I, I love working for myself by myself because i'm kind of an introvert so i find people quite stressful so i don't know whether i want to take on more people so that i can do more of the stuff that i actually really like doing which is the teaching and actually solving the problem um, and then employing people to do kind of the the illustration bit and the graphic design bit. Um, or do I just stay as a company of one and think about then how I can make, you know, mega books selling training courses and doing that kind of thing. So I still haven't quite decided that bit yet, but I think I would love to do some kind of like e-courses, like Skillshare style stuff, 
there's kind of a toe in the water as to how I could then scale that. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, thank you for saying that it's impressive. I think I, I rarely actually sit down and reflect and think, wow, this is pretty awesome. But I think, yeah, it is pretty awesome, but it comes with a lot of hard work. <laughs> and, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. But like I said, I think it gives um, the 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 teaching. I know you said that that's kind of something that you like to get into yeah. because it is so relevant to what you are doing for your clients. Sure, yeah. It. I think it gives an added layer of credibility and yeah. um I'll be honest on that and I, I think you need to get that across a lot more yeah in in everything that you're doing in terms yeah. of communicating on your website because thinking about it in that way um I think one of the problems with graphic design uh is it can be seen as a commodity Sure. Yeah. Because there's so many graphic designers out there. Like, uh, in order to be a graphic designer, you can you can learn Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever by watching a couple of YouTube videos. And the the software ten years ago, it used to cost an absolute fortune. You know, you had you'd have to pay like a couple of grand just to get access to the software. But yeah. now you can just pay a monthly fee, and it's it's become incredibly accessible. Yeah. Sure. And it. I do believe it's kind of a bit of a commodity, yeah. but I think that added layer of um, uh, specialist and and that knowledge that you have about storytelling, that's what's really important with what you're doing is that, you know, that's the, the real value. And like mm-hmm. I said, because you are teaching that at an academic level and you're teaching that to... Uh, clients and teaching that to other graphic designers that's for me that's where I see the real value in what you're doing Mm -hmm. and the graphic design side of it is just this is it all bundled together in this nice product that you can then um, pass on Um, I've got a podcast I mean when we're talking about scaling I've got a podcast coming up I don't know exactly what order I'll I'll be releasing these but I think it'll probably be after this with a guy that um, provides training and and he has some really good free training that speaks about productizing your business and scaling it and he has some interesting uh methods for uh scaling it and uh i'll briefly explain it now and you know when we get to that episode i'll I'll try to do it after this one so that people have something to look forward to but the general idea is when you start off you're working one-to-one with clients but the problem is you you reach a cap like yeah uh, there's only so much that you can do because once you booked all of your time out you can't do any more and you can't grow yeah so yeah so you can start off with that and then like the next tier up you can you can pay people yeah. and and they can do the work for you but the same thing happens again each one of those once you reach a certain amount of work you just fill it up and uh, yeah you can keep adding on other graphic designers but it's it's not going to work so Mm. this guy uh uh his like the the next tier up is uh work uh uh allowing them to do it themselves Mm, so yeah. you're basically I mean that's where the training is coming in so that rather than you doing it for them you're working with them to work through to solve that problem on their own mm-hmm. and then that means that you're able to scale that because you know in in the time that it would take you to do 
train up one person you could train up like 20 30 people yeah so I mean I, I guess an example with this is, could be a training course or it could be some kind of um uh what's the word not training course but you know some kind of um thing that you can sign up to yeah. uh like a 30-day uh workshop kind of thing and yeah, yeah. where you can do things on zoom and you can work them through different exercises and stuff like that and that's how you can scale this type of thing because rather than focusing on one-on-one at the beginning yeah. you can just spend this, the exact same amount of time helping out 20 30 people in one go and yeah. you can scale that you can scale that in, indefinitely and um yeah that's what that episode runs through i mean obviously can't go through everything in like a five minute um, comment but no, it'd be no. worth yeah. looking into that I think I'll send you a link to his yeah. training after this I, I might even link to it in the show notes since I mentioned it here but I've got him on the podcast I'm going to say next week it'd be the next one I'll put it in after this and uh, I think that will help you take that to that next level yeah, that that's really helpful I think that's actually enabled me to get some clarity on where I want to go next I mean basic stuff like I need to update my website like massively but it's time um yeah and i think it's i would even i i hope i mean i can cut this out afterwards if you want yeah, but sure. i i think you should even consider changing your name because i don't think yeah. nifty fox creative sums up what you're doing i think you're beyond that i, th- I think yeah. you've gone i think you've grown out of that name and that sounds like a graphic designer doing a bit of branding here and there yeah but now you're it, you know just with the training and stuff that you're doing mm. you're you, you're doing something of significant value and I think it'd be worth creating a, a, a brand around the whole aspect of storytelling um and, and focusing on that you're right I suppose I'm and I'm happy for you to keep this in because I'm sure that the, a lot of other people are going through a similar kind of crisis of identity but yeah. I think my reluctance I would def I have thought about dropping the creative the reason why I'd be keen to keep the Nifty Fox part is because it's become kind of, um, I wanted to use the word household name, but that's obviously like complete rubbish. But like with my clients and what I do, people know that name. So if I were to change, it'd be diff- it kind of be, it'd be a bit like Apple changing to. Yeah, I, I think yeah. what you could do is keep Nifty Fox as you, yeah. but create this other thing that, that um, uh, sounds like, an established organization that's helping people yeah. tell their story in a more effective way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's hard when you're working for when you are working for yourself. Yeah. And you kind of um, end up in this bubble, mm. and um, uh, redoing the research prior to this, I was I did not have any idea that you you do teach at that level, and I think that. Yeah that changes the the playing field for you i think that takes you to a whole different level especially if you are teaching um you know university students yeah sure. that make that takes you to that real authority level mm-hmm. and and as a brand nifty fox i know that's you i know that's you and, yeah, and yeah. i will always know you as nifty fox but when you think about um i, I guess taking it to that next level and and how people um you know business owners uh, i'm thinking large corporates Mm. when they are looking for someone that can help them clarify their story i 
think Nifty Fox might potentially limit you, and you could you could create this very authoritative sure, um, yeah. platform or service based on storytelling and and put the core focus on the educational aspect yeah that you do provide clarity to story yeah. and then the graphic design is like an added on thing on thing to that because i think clarifying story and communicating that more effectively is actually the most valuable thing mm. and nifty fox doesn't yeah, yeah i hope you know what i mean yeah i know what you mean it's kind of fine yeah i totally do it's like actually the name needs to be more reflective of the value that I add, I guess. Yeah, because I think you offer a lot of value now, especially, I I know, sorry, I keep going back to it, because of the training and because of that authority and because of that knowledge and and because you are providing so much clarity, Mm. that's the product, not the graphic design work. Yeah, that's so true. And I think... Like this is so helpful. So I totally like need to give you a fee for being a business coach as well as a <laughs> There's your value, Ian. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but, but no, it's important because I think I've I've kind of known that for a while, but you've just put it into words for me. So I think mm. I've kind of been almost hiding behind Nifty Fox as like, oh, you know, I'm quite good actually. And it, it's about this self confidence thing. I think mm-hmm. going back to what I was saying earlier about the problems you have in your personal life will reflect in your business, and it's a self confidence. So I think. Yeah, I've written loads of notes, actually, that I will turn or kind of have an offshoot of Nifty Fox that actually productizes the value that I give and that education. Mm -hmm. I think that's really true. I think my sort of minimum viable product of doing that initially would be to drop the creative from Nifty Fox and have something else, Nifty Fox something, and then re-jig my website so there's much more of a focus on that expertise and that education side and then grow from there. Um, Mm -hmm. Because the reason why I'd be hesitant to just do it straight away as a separate thing is because I've got quite a lot of traction with that name. Oh yeah. Yeah. I understand. I understand. I I think it's good that we're speaking about this because we're basically talking about it live. I put you really on the spot. (laughs) And um, yeah, I think, I think it's important for listeners to be aware. This is kind of how you grow. Yeah. So, you know, you get to a point and so you started off as a generalist graphic designer, you specialized in this area, you took it to that next level, you started to provide uh, training and other elements to that. And I feel like you've outgrown what you what you started off with and yeah I think you're they, right. those are things that you need to think about and um you know listeners might need to think about the same things with what they're doing but then you 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 adapt everything and you grow and you transition and mm. um it might need a rebrand it might need a whole um uh, a whole load of things done but that's how you grow and that's how you progress yeah and I think it's about being yeah adaptable isn't it like yeah. I can already feel this sort of tension inside me that's kind of quite protective of like the Nifty Fox brand. I'm like, but that's mine. And like, like <laughs> actually, I think maybe I do need to let go of that and think, well, where is the value? Where is the value really coming from? That would help me then when I'm pitching myself to people, be clearer on what I offer. Because um, mm-hmm. I'm not, I think there are some, this really resonates because there are, not all of my clients, but some that I do feel treat me like I'm a bit stupid and I'm just kind of, oh, I just draw nice things. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why I'm pushing towards it because that's not actually what you're selling. You're providing a lot of clarity to stories and presenting that in a more effective way. You're communicating that in a better way. I don't think presenting should be the word. You're you're helping 
business owners clarify their story and presenting it in a more effective way that will allow them to make more money and make more yeah. impact yeah money yeah that's what you're doing <laughs> we got this recorded yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah that that's that's what you're doing um all the uh because like i said earlier uh, graphic design and illustration can be seen as a commodity yeah sure. but you're providing something of real value and uh mm. i think you should put that forefront and center and everything that you're doing because Absolutely. after this conversation like i said i always do research for the interviews that everything that we've spoken about in this interview I've I've gone through most of the interviews you've already done yeah I've gone through your website any in, like I, I go through everything prior to interviews that's none of this cool. has come across in anything that you're doing yeah. yeah so you've got a lot of work to do <laughs> no, but that's that's really helpful and I think this also comes back to you so I'm like I'm not a massive fan of social media or like loads of website updates and stuff because I'm focused on my clients and doing really good work. But yeah, it's good. Forget yeah. that actually I need to tell the world, oh, hey, actually I'm kind of good at this. Like I'm actually a bit of an mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um And I think that's something I, yeah, I think you've actually put a mirror up to me there that I really needed. So um, thank you. And thank you for the audience for allowing me to be on this journey because that, that. Yeah, you're it, very welcome. <laughs> yeah, I think I've been kind of dancing around it and trying to put my finger on, I know I'm adding more value here and I'm not, I'm not, you know, simply a designer or simply an illustrator. Like there's more I'm offering here and it's how can I, I think something I wrote in my journal recently was positioning myself as an expert. And I think you've just given me the avenue to do that um, yeah. and to help take me on this next stage of growth. Cause that's why I didn't have any clarity. And I was a bit like, Oh, I'm not sure what I'm doing because I wasn't a hundred percent sure on the value or how to communicate mm-hmm. the value of what I'm doing so that um thanks Ian <laughs> yeah you're welcome and I think that's probably a good point to kind of end the interview uh, it's funny with interviews you never know where they're kind of gonna end yeah sure um so it's a, I think it's a really good conversation hopefully you know listeners have got something out of this um yeah it's been good to hear kind of what you're doing sure. where you come from where you got to and you know even more excitingly what's next I know. Um, so maybe we'll have to do another interview in a couple of years time yeah. <laughs> well, Laura it's been really great to catch up and chat with you and hear more about you and so um thanks so much for coming on thank you for having me it's been an absolute pleasure If you enjoyed this episode, let myself and Laura know by giving us a shout out on social media. I love to hear from listeners and I know that Laura will love it too. If you want to learn more about Laura Evans, head to her website, niftyfoxcreative.com. Alternatively, check out the show notes for this episode where I'll link to that and Laura's social profiles, links to any books and resources mentioned, as well as a transcription of the interview too to find the show notes for this episode simply head to logageek.uk forward slash 69 again to find the show notes for this week's episode simply head to logageek.uk forward slash 69 if you're keen to discuss anything mentioned in this interview with myself laura and almost 8,000 logo designers from around the world join the logo geek community on facebook it's totally free to join and it's incredibly active meaning that you'll get your questions answered the feedback that you want and the support that you need to grow as a designer To find out, simply head to logageek.uk forward slash community 
or just search on Facebook for the Logo Geek community. On top of that, if you like to jump on group video calls with me and a handful of other professional logo designers every two weeks, you can do that by joining Logo Geek Plus. It's currently only $10 a month to join and for that you'll get access to a private forum, a Slack group, as well as all recordings from previous sessions too. Some of those have also included special guests such as David Airy. He went through his entire design process from start to finish. And for me personally, that makes it worth his weight in gold for anyone interested in logo design. We've also recently worked through activities um, such as a logo design for a non-profit. And it was so successful that I want to do more of that type of thing again and also bring in special guests. For the non-profit project, I break that down into a couple of sections. So rather than everyone just showing their logos and us picking one, we went through it in, in phases. So the first part we did sketching and all came together, collaborated, shared our ideas, our thoughts, and that allowed us you know, all to get some feedback early on and also start thinking about other potential directions and ideas too. And I think that that made it so much more interesting for everyone in the group just to see how other people think. And I think that made for a whole load of incredible designs at the end of the process. Long term with Logo Geek Plus, I do plan to increase the price, but once you subscribe, you are locked into that price range. So it's a really good time to get in early whilst it is still cheap. $10 for something like this is really cheap. There's a number of uh, pro communities out there, um, but this is different. It's, it's more of a hangout with other designers and I hope it's a unique thing that you might want to be part of. If that's of interest, head to community.logogeek.uk and when you first sign up, I'll also send you a Logo Geek enamel pin badge too. So again, if you want to join Logo Geek Plus, head to community.logogeek.uk. So that is it for this week, but I will see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.